Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. It's just me again this week, Robert Connie. Um, Jasmine's going to be out this week and next week and then I think we will be back to normal with the normal Robert and Jasmine podcasts going from then on uh, then on out. So I'm excited to have Jasmine back on here. It's, uh, it's I, I'll, I'll tell you, I've loved having our guests host and I've loved having all the different personalities on the show. Uh, you know, I didn't want to ask our guests to do too much work uh, but Jasmine, as a co-host, does a ton uh, of work to help produce this show. And doing it on my own for the past uh, a couple months has been been a challenge. But I'm I'm really really excited to get back to working with Jasmine and uh, and and doing the show that you guys have grown to know and love for several years. This isn't going to be too long of a show. I'll also do something like this probably next week. But you know we are uh, we are in the midst of a time when I think the main thing that's on everyone's minds is the elections of 2024 and who's going to be filing and who's going to be running for those offices. There are still about two weeks to go until the filing deadline which i believe is january 6th this year maybe the maybe the fourth something like that it's the first week of january so that's coming up soon and that's kind of what people have been talking about and paying attention to so i'll talk a little bit about this and then i think the bulk of the show what we're going to be talking about i dug up my notes from what i titled in our show folder as show notes episode 17 Uh, if you've been paying attention to our show for a long time i think we're over 200 episodes episode so this is one from very way way back at the beginning and it is about the how the legislature works i thought that might be something worthwhile to talk about this week as we are here on the heels of the legislature going back into session so you know we've we've picked up a lot of listeners since episode 17 and so there are probably a lot of people who you know maybe you follow the legislature pretty closely even or but you don't necessarily know how it all works how it all fits together and and what what all happens there so talk about that so just to give everybody a bit of a refresher about how that works um right before we start the session but before we do that i did want to talk just a little bit about the things about the filing deadline and the retirements that has definitely been the thing that's been making the most news lately. So there have been several retirements from the legislature over the past couple of weeks. And some of them are names that people are familiar with if you watch the legislature at all very closely. Two members of Democratic leadership are retiring. Derek Graham, who has served for quite a while and, and had served as the, the leader of the Democratic caucus since jo- uh, Joni Jenkins left the legislature last time, uh, he is bowing out. He has been there for quite a while. I think, you know, I never knew how long he was going to serve, but I would say I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had left last time when a lot of other Democrats left, or even the time before when, when I guess it was 20. 2020 uh, you know he, he's the type of person a little bit like a like a Mary Lou Marzian like a Joni Jenkins uh, like a you know a, one of the longer serving Democrats in the legislature who have hung it up uh, over the past few years he, he represents the Frankfurt area it's a pretty Democratic seat so I feel like the Democrats are likely to hold that seat but it will not be Derek Graham in that spot moving forward we talked we talked ad nauseum about Josie Raymond already she's she's uh, you know it has been a little bit surprising that that she's leaving but she's going to be running for metro council she feels like she's going to be able to make more of an impact there so i, I you know we've, we've talked about that already so you can go back and listen to older shows if you want to talk about that ruth ann palumbo it had also announced that the 2024 session is going to be her last year in the legislature so she like Derek graham has served for quite a long time she is bowing out um she you know she has been there oh gosh it's been she was in the majority for quite a while and then you know has been in the minority for for almost you know getting close to a decade at this point and so you know i, I understand where she's coming from probably not too much different than Derek graham also not too much different from a lot of other democrats who have left the legislature over the past several 
years. So, you know, that that's kind of her situation. The other very surprising person was Rachel Roberts. She represents Campbell County up in northern Kentucky. Um, you know, Newport and areas east of Covington along the river and a little bit more of Campbell County. So she has been in Democratic leadership just for a short period of time. Um, we we interviewed her when she ran for Kentucky Senate, and that's been, you know, six years or so, I think. Um, she's been in the legislature for, I think, two terms it's it's she she was elevated to leadership as a pretty junior member of the caucus but this is a really hard job she had a more difficult race in uh 2022 than you know she had in 2020 because of redistricting her uh, her opponent was both kind of a bad person had some kind of interesting legal history and some interesting kind of stuff about him that that had kind of come up and that became an issue and then he ended up like suing her and the democratic party and over you know defamation for stuff that he had been you know shown to have done and that's a very frustrating experience serving in the legislature is a very frustrating experience Rachel roberts ran for office to get things done and that's just an incredibly difficult thing to do as a democrat in the legislature so so i think that's why she's hanging it up um that that's uh i think all of the house members on the democratic side who are straight up retiring um like we mentioned josie raymond is moving from the uh from she's attempting to move from the the state house to metro council and and then katura heron is going to be leaving her house seat but is going to be running for uh, a, a senate seat that's being vacated by denise harper angel so that is another loss for the democratic house caucus um but potentially a pickup for the senate caucus denise harper angel has served for a long time i she was actually i believe the first state legislature candidate that i walked a precinct for when i was you know 18 or 19 years old <laughs> a long long time ago i think she was first elected in maybe 2006 maybe 2004 i think it was 2004 um but it's been it's been quite a while um, that she's served in the legislature. You know, I don't think she ever served in the majority in the Senate. I think that went by the wayside for Democrats, I think, in 1999. But, you know, had served in a different version of the legislature, which wasn't quite as partisan, wasn't quite as anti-democratic, anti-democratic party. You know, you could make an argument that it's anti-democratic more generally, but that's what I meant to say. Um, she is hanging it up and I think kind of fits the same mold as a Derek Graham or a, a Ruth Ann Palumbo kind of where I've done this for a long time I'm ready to be finished that is that is um the the main uh the main exit from the Democratic caucus on the on the Senate side there are a lot of a lot of Republicans who are leaving um Kevin Bratcher is is doing the same thing as Josie Raymond they are actually they don't live that far apart their districts I believe border each other and he is moving from the state house to the uh to the metro council attempting attempting to make that move i believe we talked about that before as well that was a little bit surprising um danny bentley uh has served for quite a long time a lot has been made about um some strange things he said that have made people kind of question his ability to serve but that is certainly um a, a retirement that i think a lot of people are are not upset about um, Damon Thayer, a member of Senate Republican leadership, is leaving the legislature and, and straight up retiring. He does not have anything that he is running for in the uh, like in this cycle. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him reemerge as maybe a candidate for governor, maybe a candidate for for the the U.S. Senate or U.S. Congress. You know, it, even as like maybe a primary challenger to, to 
Thomas Massey, I guess, is the district he'd be in. Um, that wouldn't be too surprising. He, if he's in Andy Barr's district, which I don't know exactly where he is, I would not see him primarying Andy Barr. But, but I could actually conceivably see him primarying Thomas Massey. I, I don't think he's done with politics altogether, but he is a long-serving member of the state Senate. He holds a lot of power. He actually directs legislation. So this is not one of those things like a lot of the Democrats who they just can't get anything done and are trying to find a new way to make an impact. Damon Thayer was getting a lot of the things done that he wanted to, and I think he said that he has gotten everything done that he wants to and is in a stepping aside. There are a few other um, exits in in the state legislature. A lot has been made about this, but I you know I was looking back and I do believe that there were like 20 retirements in 2022. There were a lot more I think in 2022. Of course that was a redistricting cycle, so that typically leads to more retirements. But you know I don't think that this is necessarily like a historical number of uh, uh, amount of turnover. I don't think that that's what we're looking at here. I think we're looking at a pretty normal amount of turnover. It happens every year. It is just kind of surprising to see how many people are, are leaving um, when they aren't, you know, they haven't served for that long. That's, I think, the, kind of the surprising thing. Katerna Heron jumping from House to Senate after just a term or two. Although uh, there, there was a representative from, from Woodford County who, who tried to do that recently, and Joe Gravis, he, of course, lost that Senate seat. So um, that that um, doesn't really, uh, you know, that, that is something that can happen, might, might happen to Katerna Heron. I would be surprised if it did. But, you know, then you have... Um, you know, you have a, a lot of other people who are retiring who um, who had served for a long time. This seeing Rachel Roberts and Josie Raymond leave, I, I think, was was a little bit surprising to people. Um, maybe that's the reason why it was like that. Okay, um, so that is that was kind of the main thing I wanted to talk about in terms of news. Um, and you know, we may get into filing. I think you know. Uh, give people another week or so to, to file it was christmas week this week there's not a lot of people who filed this week i think we'll see activity more activity i think the democrats basically you know they're not going to have they're not going to have a huge amount of uh you know they're not going to contest 80 seats like they did in 2018 or 2020 or whatever it was and it's 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 just tough to recruit and we'll talk some more about that next week but i think democrats basically have people filed in a lot of the winnable districts uh, you know that are held by republicans a lot of the louisville districts i think they're just lacking two i think that um we don't necessarily have uh democrats in that are are, are kind of more winnable for for democratic candidates um you know we've up in northern kentucky we um we did we did have a file for uh Rachel Roberts' old district, I mean, Matt Lehman, who is, um, he was the person who ran for Congress against Thomas Massey last time. I really hope that we see somebody from Covington running both in the House and in the Senate. Um, I don't think we have anybody in the Senate yet, um, but in the uh, in the House, that would be, you know, Buddy Wheatley's old district. I would be surprised if, you know, Representative Wheatley took that on, but, but, I, but you know, I wouldn't not, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. Um, we, we have... Uh, candidates filed in a lot of the ring counties in in Lexington. You know the 62 seat that's in most of Georgetown. Um, the Woodford County seat um, that that kind of goes from uh, Versailles, oh, like mostly just includes Versailles, but it kind of goes up into Frankfurt a little bit too. The Democrats have struggled in that area, even though it is kind of a um, you know a nice district, uh, a pretty pretty winnable district. So it's good to have a candidate there. Um, I, I would like to see more Democrats run in in places like E Town, maybe uh, over in the Richmond area, um, maybe a couple of the Owensboro districts. You know that that would be nice to see, but those are going to be really tough to win. Um, but you know uh, there are a few other districts in Northern Kentucky. I hope they they recruit for and um, and that Oldham County district. I think the the Osborne seat 
that's one that Democrats are going to need to be competitive in in the near future. Um, there are several other people running in a lot of these seats that I think are um, are winnable, though. So that's that's kind of where we are at with with that. So I guess we'll talk more about that next week uh, as more people file and what, what districts I hope to see in a little bit more detail. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the General Assembly and how it operates. So in Kentucky, as with every state in the United States and lots of places around the globe, um, you know, we have a legislature that is uh, a product of our Constitution. So Kentucky has a Constitution, just like the United States. If you didn't know that, we talk a lot about the Constitution of Kentucky on this show, but um, it may be confusing. Maybe you didn't know Kentucky has its own separate from the United States Constitution. But Kentucky historically has had four constitutions, and it's a really long and interesting story, um, which you should read about and learn about all of Kentucky's different constitutions in the most recent version of the Constitution, and the only one with authority right now is ratified back in 1892 just you know 30 or 40 years after the the civil war ended um that once the civil war was over and slavery was outlawed they wrote a new constitution that you know coped with that reality that thank goodness that we don't have slavery anymore situation um and it there have been movements in the past hundred years to to reform the i guess it's been 130 years <laughs> um to kind of reform that constitution uh to to write a new one i think the the last major push was in the early 1960s uh, that was the Bert T. Combs administration they really wanted to um, modernize the constitution change a bunch of stuff it, it did not go as they had hoped and so they were stuck with the old constitution and it has been amended in many ways since then to kind of fit, comport with a more modern uh, legislature or a more modern more modern government it's still not very modern there's a lot of pieces that are very very antiquated um, Kentucky's uh, oath of office which is I think put into the Constitution has a lot of, to do with the dueling <laughs> which is kind of funny but uh, that I think is a product of the fact that the Constitution is pretty outdated Anyways, the Constitution, as it's written, sets out a bicameral legislature. That means there's a House and a Senate. That's just like the United States Congress. I believe that there is only one state that does not have a bicameral situation, and that is Nebraska. That's just a fun fact. Um, anyways, the, the Kentucky has both a state Senate and a House of Representatives. The Senate has 38 people, and the House has 100 people. Both of them are proportionally represented, so there should be about equal number of people in each Senate district and about equally number of people in the house districts so that that is that situation you know in the united states we have like two senators per state there's not something like that where we have like one senator per county or anything like that there is 38 people and they represent roughly equal districts the requirements for office are that senators must be 30 years old and have lived in the state for six years, including one in the district, at least one in the, the district, and representatives must only be 24 years old and they have to have lived in the state for two years. Um, one in the district as well. You know, we do have some pretty young. It's, it's 24 years old is not not too old to be in the legislature. Rachel Rourke's is not that much older than that. I think when um, there's a few other people who serve who are um, who are pretty young in their 20s still. So, you know, that that is not something that is unusual to see somebody who's very young serving in the legislature. Uh, and, and in the Senate, you do have to be 30. So those are the um, requirements, the age requirements for the office for who can serve in the legislature. So leadership in the legislature isn't really provided by the Constitution, but uh, they, it does exist. The only thing that's in the Constitution is the Speaker of the House. The Senate 
in the original constitution was led by the lieutenant governor. That's not something that was unusual to see throughout many of the states in antiquity. But in 1992, this was one of the amendments that happened to the Kentucky constitution that was in the wake of the failure um, to reform the entire thing that passed. And in 1992, there was a constitutional amendment passed to let the Senate elect a president of the Senate. So that was kind of how how that happened. They 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 allowed the Senate to elect their own president or president and the lieutenant governor was then elected on a slate with the governor. And then, you know, the lieutenant governor has been trying to find something to do ever since. And and different governors uh have given their lieutenant governors different jobs. For a while, you know, Jacqueline uh, Coleman was the leader of, the, the current lieutenant governor was the leader of the education cabinet. That's not something you don't see unusually. I think Ernie Fletcher's uh, lieutenant governor was in charge of, like, the, the public protection cabinet. That That's something you see a lot. But, you know, how, what the lieutenant governor does is, is not not really provided for, and it's kind of a job that they, uh, they, they make or the governor m- makes along with them. So anyways, the, the, the Senate... Um, is elected by by the 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 legislature itself um right now the president of the senate is robert stivers of course that is the person who's in charge of the um the the senate president he's been in that office for quite a while he's been there i I don't know if it's been it's been been a long time that he's been serving in that role um the second in command in the senate is called the senate pro tempore Right now, that's David Gibbons, and he's been there for at least six or eight years. Um, there, that's also selected by the majority party. So right, the Republican caucus selects that person, and then each party selects uh, a floor leader. Um, again, that is the aforementioned David Damon Thayer on the uh, on the Republican side, who is stepping away from his job, and then Gerald Neal, who that's technically the leader of the Democratic caucus. That's the highest ranking minority position. So Gerald Neal of Louisville is the Senate um, minority floor leader. And then each each party also selects a whip. So on the Democratic side, that is the that is David Yates, who is um, from Louisville as well. He kind of serves in Central Louisville, Central South Louisville, and on the Republican side, that is Mike Wilson. And then each party also selects a caucus chair. And on the Republican side, that is Julie Racky Adams. On the Republican side, and then Reginald Thomas, Senator Reggie Thomas of Lexington, uh, who is the minority caucus chair for the Democrats. So that that is the leadership. Republicans get two more slots because they're in the majority party. Democrats have three slots altogether. On the House, it is it follows a very similar structure. The Speaker is elected by the, the membership of the House. It is David Osborne and has been since Jeff Hoover stepped aside in a sex scandal. Um, so that was you know 2016 or so um so he is the speaker of the house has had that job since i believe 2016 and uh the speaker pro tem is david mead so that is on the republican side those are the two slots that republicans have that democrats don't get but just like in the senate both parties select a majority floor leader that is stephen rudy on the republican side and Derek graham also stepping away this year um the both parties select a caucus chair that's suzanne miles on the republican side and Sherilyn stevenson on the Democratic side, and then each party selects a whip, and that is Jason Nemes on the Republican side, and Rachel Roberts, again, also somebody who's retiring on the Democratic side. So that is how the leadership is selected. That's who they are. That is, you know, those jobs include whipping your caucus. You also set the agenda. Leadership decides, like, that group of people 
that group of people, all of those leaders I just mentioned, from the House Speaker all the way down to the Minority Caucus Chair, um, for each chamber, they decide, they form the Committee on Committees, and they decide when a bill is filed what committee to send it to. Now, that is, um, you don't have to send a bill to a committee, and it has been the case in recent years that not all bills make it to a committee, but what committee bills end up with uh, is determined by by that group of people, by the leadership of both parties, functionally just the majority party, though, because they have a majority in the, in the Committee on Committees. So, um, how often do they meet? The session of sessions of the General Assembly are annual. They happen every year at the beginning of the year. But that's actually kind of a recent development. In 2000, this is another one of those constitutional amendments that happened in the wake of the failure to create a new constitution. In 2000, the constitution was amended to provide for annual meetings of the General Assembly. It used to be that the legislature only met every other year, and it would be on even number this years, just like this year. Um, I guess next year because it's December twenty sixth right now, and uh, an even number year will be twenty twenty four. That's the next session we're we're looking to. The General Assembly begins on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in January, and it cannot extend beyond in an even number year, April fifteenth. And it cannot extend beyond March 30th in an odd number year. And we'll get into why that is in just a second. But that this year, the legislature will start on January the 2nd. That is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in January. So on even-numbered years, like 2024, the legislature holds what's called a budget session, also known as a long session. These sessions last 60 legislative days. That's not necessarily a day just a day but that's a day that the legislature meets so during these longer sessions the legislature comes with, a, with up with a budget at, for the state that lasts for two years so you know um, that is the main thing that has to be accomplished it's required for it to be accomplished in kind of recent past in 20 2002 and 2004 the legislature did not come up with a budget and, and during those years paul Patton, who was the governor in 2002 and ernie fletcher in 2004 used uh informal spending plans to run the state but the constitute but the supreme court of kentucky um in 2005 ruled that they could not do that so they had to create a budget or else that nothing nothing actually could get funded including the state police um you know since then, the state has managed to pass a budget every time it had to. No one really knows what would happen if they didn't pass a budget. Probably just things wouldn't get funded until they called a special session and could work it all out. Legislative days are days in which the legislature is actually in session and are allowed to vote on things. After the session begins, each body can temporarily adjourn itself for up to three days. That's like a weekend or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Which means that sessions, you know, they last longer than 15 or 30 days. Um, when bodies are adjourned, there are there's like usually some kind of deal making going on, uh, agenda setting, that that kind of situation. Um, in odd numbered years, the legislature comes uh, into session for 30 legislative days, and they do have a long break. So they typically organize themselves. Those odd numbered years are also the first um, first uh, sessions after elections. You know, we do legislative elections in November of even-numbered years, so in odd-numbered years, that is when, you know, leadership is elected in those chambers and committee assignments are granted. And then usually in even-numbered years, what happens is you mostly keep the same stuff, 
but um, sometimes committees are reassigned. There will be some Republicans that are being reassigned committees because they got in trouble with the, their caucus. So that is something we talked about at the end of last year. But anyways, on these odd-numbered years, the legislature only meets for 30 days, usually for a week in January, and then they adjourn for like a month, and they come back in February, mid-February. Um, the other thing about odd-numbered years is even though they are shorter and they cannot address issues that raise revenue, um, but they are allowed to what's called open the budget uh, issue uh you know bills that raise revenue with a three-fifths majority so they can pass stuff it just requires the super majority and that is why you know even though democrats are gonna struggle to get to you know 50 people if they can make some headway and can get past that three-fifths majority they can stop a lot of stuff from happening that's really hard to do as well but you know that is something that um th that breaking a supermajority would allow them to do um, all right, so you know, you you know, on a normal um, odd numbered year, you know, you don't have to worry about stuff like charter schools because <laughs> you can't raise taxes. Um, but but because Republicans have so many people in their caucus, uh, mostly they can do anything they want to on any um, on any year um, because their caucus is just so large. All the work of the legislature is run through committees. So standing committees are permanently established by statute, and legislation has to run through one of them to get to the full legislature. Um, committees, you know, are the type of people where they kind of sit up on a platform behind a desk, and they hear from people who support or oppose bills who sit down and on the floor and at a table, and they introduce themselves, and they can get questions, and um, they people talk about things, and, and you know that that process is has a long and storied history in, in every legislature across the country, but here in Kentucky, it has really taken a hit. Uh, you know. Opponents of, of bills that are supported by Republican leadership typically get the short shrift. They only have a short period of time that they're even allowed to talk. A lot of times speakers who travel, you know, very long distances to be heard on that issue are just skipped or not given the opportunity to speak at all. And it's really unfortunate that this type of, you know, listening to people who are on both sides of an issue has just really taken a backseat in the modern day legislature in Kentucky. Um, what happens in those committees is that, you know, the process is they, they hear from supporters and opponents. Um, they offer amendments before sending the bill to the floor. So committees can give a favorable or unfavorable report. And, you know, houses can send bills to the floor without a recommendation or with an unfavorable report if they want to. So, but, you know, a favorable report is, is typically what you get before, before a bill moves to the floor of the full body. Um, also in these committees, this is where we see committee substitutes happen a lot. So a legislator will file a bill. Um, it, the text of it will be available on the LRC's website where anybody can read it. But then committees mark up these bills through the amendment process. And leadership in a committee, so whoever is the chair of the committee, can also offer a committee substitute, which is can, can include however many changes they want to make to a bill. Um, this process makes sense a lot of the time if it's like, okay, this is what your bill wanted to do, specific legislator, but we want to make some pretty big changes to it um, so that, and we don't want to go through each individual amendment process. So we're just going to like take your bill away, keep the heart of it alive or whatever, make some significant changes to it, and then reissue it, and we're going to vote on it in the way that we want to. But in practice, what actually has been occurring in recent years is the bill that gets posted to the LRC's website will receive a committee substitute that is just wholesale changes that change everything about the bill. Um, 
there was a ruling of the Kentucky Supreme Court that says that the header of the bill, like the bill subject, which is something that gets filed along with the bill, has to be germane to the text of the bill. Before that, we were seeing Republicans basically, that's why we call uh, the charter school bill the sewer bill. You may hear it called that because um, the bill that was issued a, a committee substitute um, was supposed to be about wastewater systems. They gutted the entire bill and issued a committee substitute that had everything to do with, with charter schools, and that is why um, that, that process has been uh, you know derided a bit recently. So committee substitute process is um it it is it has been abused significantly in recent years but that's how it exists and and the reason why it's important it it, it does you know as long as everybody's acting like adults uh like like normal legislators like people who've been entrusted with the public's trust um you know it's a good process to have it's important to be able to issue committee substitutes if you want to make significant changes to to legislation that's a compromise with the person who wrote the original piece but that's not what's been happening and that's why i think a lot of people have been frustrated with this process in recent years okay speaking more about committees the standing committees are a big deal uh you know the the, the they do all this stuff and like we mentioned the committee on committees that's the most powerful committee that's made up of legislative leaders and they send bills to committees um the list of standing committees includes agriculture appropriations revenue banking and insurance com the committee on committees the economic development uh tourism and labor education uh health and welfare judiciary etc there's a lot of other ones um you can look them up on the lrc's website but but they're big broad committees that that deal with a lot of different sorts of things um so that that is the committee system and that is the the leadership of the general assembly and um, the other thing I wanted to talk about in the legislature is this group called the Legislative Research Commission, or the LRC. That's a group that's very, very important to the legislature. The LRC is technically the leadership of both chambers of the legislature altogether, but what whenever anybody like just says the LRC, what they're referring to is the staff of policy analysts, fiscal analysts, lawyers, etc., who do research and analysis on bills. They draft bills as requested by members of the legislature, and they do a lot of other things related to understanding the implications of legislature that of legislation that has been written. Um, if you've ever heard the Congressional Budget Office in the federal government, the LRC in Kentucky is incredibly similar. Um, they will do uh, a lot of work to, you know, say this is how much how, this is how how much we can expect in taxes if you pass this bill. If you pass this tax cut, here's how much money we think we won't get um, if we, uh, you know, pass this criminal justice reform. Here's how many more people will go to prison versus not. Um, here's how many more years people will be in prison versus not. Um, that is um, that is kind of what the, the job that they do. There was a long, long process in the 70s and 80s for the LRC to break um, apart from the legislative leadership in general and to kind of declare their independence. That was a long fight that they won. Um, the LRC existed as a very independent branch, uh, you know, not influenced by leadership of either party um this was kind of led by liberal democrats um and you know they were and, and republicans uh to kind of to push this through and, and they were able to get that reform in and that led to like kind of a, a golden age of the lrc where it operated as just a, a you know a, a independent arm that did a lot of good work on legislation to make sure that kentucky had the information it needed to understand the laws as they were written about five years ago, I don't know exactly know how long that was, 
it's been now, but but let the Republican leadership fired the LRC director and basically put the LRC under their own, um, you know, under their own umbrella. So so right now the LRC functions essentially as you know an arm of the Republican caucus. I still think a lot of the people who are working there do a lot of good work. I think that it's 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 important to recognize the people who are doing a lot of the good work at the LRC, but it is not. It is not an independent group anymore. Um, that is something that's changed significantly even since we started the show. The LRC was fiercely independent politically, and it is not now. It is definitely just a, an, an arm of the Republican leadership these days, which is very unfortunate. It's definitely something – there's a lot of ways the legislature has has taken – uh, gone in the wrong direction since the Republicans have taken over. And that isn't just about the policies that they've enacted. The way that they've acted, the way in which they've legislated has really, really deteriorated since Republicans have taken over. Um, and, I, and I think like the deterioration of the LRC is the most serious way. I talked about the committee substitute situation. There, and There's a lot of other ways, the way in which they do readings on the floor. That's too much of a detail that we're not going to get into today. But there's a lot of ways that the the legislature has has deteriorated in the past five years, and but I think the LRC and its uh, the the decline of its independence is is the most serious. So that um you know that is kind of how the legislature works. Uh, you know, <laughs> hopefully you see now why people like Josie Raymond and Rachel Roberts may uh, have decided to hang it up. It is not a joyful place uh, for Democrats or anybody in the minority caucus to work now, and it is uh, a place where a lot of bad stuff happens and a lot of processes are abused. Um, but you know. Um, it is also the place where all of our laws are made, and it is really important if they're going to pass stuff that's bad that people stand up and, and speak up against it. And I think we have a good group of Democrats who are doing that right now in the legislature. Of course, it could be it could be better. They could be a bigger caucus. I wish they were. Uh, and you know, maybe someday we will actually get to the point where you know the parties have to work together, or you know, there will at least be a, different ways for minority party, which is likely to be the Democrats for the foreseeable future, um, to actually influence some legislation. But that is not the case right now. We do have a lot of good fo folks speaking up against that badness now, though. Um, we'll see what happens in 2024. Um, obviously, they have to pass a budget. There's been a lot of rumblings that there may be a constitutional amendment about uh, about charter schools that, that makes its way through the legislature, and then we would all get a vote on it. Um, that seems like a bad idea to me, but I, I'm not a Republican strategist, so don't ask me. Um, if they pass it, I think that would just get Democrats to turn out. So, uh, oh, kind of i don't know if they do because of course it always opens up the opportunity for them to pass it but you know if they do i think it would be good for democrats politically um but you know i don't know what else is going to happen i you know i always say they can't hammer these social issues any more than they already have and every session they find a way to be even more awful towards whether it's trans folks or other lgbt folks or black folks or you know or you know women etc um and uh i just you know we'll see the school bills of course the Louisville republican legislators are, are trying to find ways that they can influence jcps in ways uh through the state government that you know we'll see what they're able to do there um you know that's the type of stuff we'll be looking for in the 2024 session there will be other things as well all right, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about this week. We'll have another short show next week, but that is it for this week. Um, you can find us on uh, Facebook and 
X at my old KY podcast, Twitter, not X. Um, you can find us on the podcasting app of your choice. You can sign up for our occasional, almost never newsletter at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. You can support us on Patreon. Please do that for um, about a dollar a month. Um, last thing about this, if you want a good way to follow the legislature, of course, all your major newspapers, all your major television stations, they all do a good job. But I also have uh, at kypoliticaldata.com. I try to update that every day during the legislative session with kind of the actions that, are, that have taken place. The legislature has a website it isn't super functional i've tried to make it a little bit easier to search for things you might be interested in so you can check that out if you want to as well all right everybody thank you for listening and we will see you next week